Hey, welcome to Female Founder World. It's Jasmine here. I'm the host of the pod. And today we've got a conversation with Tanya Taylor, an entrepreneur and fashion designer, all about the fashion industry. So yes, we get into how she's been growing this huge brand that is a household name now, but also like what are the opportunities that exist for people who want to start businesses in the fashion industry right now? We chat about rental, we chat about other kind of new trends in fashion. And I think that if you've got any kind of entrepreneurial inclination and you're in the fashion space, you are going to love this conversation. Let's get into it. Tanya, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Every time I kind of start an interview, I let the founders just tell us about their business and what they're building in their own words. So can you tell us about your label, your brand, and and what you're creating at Tanya Taylor? Yeah, we are a fashion brand based in New York City, but I think that what we really do is try to bring color and joy and print beyond clothing. Um, we've expanded in the last couple of years to you know children's wear and swimwear, but also done really meaningful partnerships with Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital by taking prints and redoing pediatric floors or painting day camps for kids that are going through chemotherapy. So I always think that the art that we create that people love to wear is also art that can really transform people's moods outside of fashion. I um, I was doing some research before we jumped on this podcast and I saw that you studied commerce. How did you wind up being a a fashion designer with a finance background? I know. I'm so happy I did. Um, but yes, it was a it was an interesting transition. So I did my undergraduate degree at McGill University in Montreal and studied finance. And I absolutely love math. I love accounting. It's like a geeky side of me. But I think when I was there, I was really missing a creative, more expressive side. And more you know, tactically, I was wearing all black, wearing suits in classes with all the boys. And I just wanted to take what I learned from um, McGill and bring it into an industry that I think benefits from having, you know, a rational structure of how business owners and founders can think. Um, So I went to Parsons after McGill and studied design and just really found this industry that kind of could pair both the creative and the commerce. I want to dig into like some of those, you know, what those principles and those lessons were. But first I want to understand like how you got this off the ground. Like what, once you had the idea that you wanted to create this brand, what were the first things that you did to actually like create the product? I always suggest that you need a little experience before you start anything. And I was lucky enough to work in a startup company that was Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson starting Elizabeth and James. And I got to see what it looked like to have two employees and then have 10 employees and then 20 employees. So I was there for three years. I was on the design team and I managed all of the product development budgets. So I really got to see what it looked like to build a fashion company in New York. So one day I started the company with one employee that was really kind of my hands-on, get everything made in the garment district, super kind of active guy couldn't have been more different than me. Like I am so kind of organized and buttoned up and like clear. And he is so creative and tattooed from head to toe. And like, it was just, we were the funny little motley crew at the beginning of the company. 
But we did it just one step at a time. I think we set our goals of like, you know, day one, our first meeting was at Starbucks and we literally looked at each other and said, I think we need to get an office. I think we need to get a phone and kind of went through the bare basics. And then we had a goal that in nine months we wanted a collection to show at Fashion Week. And I I can truly say I did not know anyone in New York City and I did not have any relationships here that helped build the business. But what I did was just slowly, like, well, persistently reach out to people that I thought were doing really incredible work, whether it was in PR, whether it was in graphic design. And I really built the brand with a group of people that became kind of part of the company. And that's why it felt really special kind of when it launched. Setting a goal to launch at Fashion Week, that's a that's a pretty big goal for someone who's, you know, just starting things out. Like, where did you get that confidence? I feel like so many people maybe have an idea for a product or a new business, but they kind of want to start small and, you know, like dip their toe in. And that sounds like a really hard launch. What kind of gave you that confidence? My mom and grandpa and my whole family are entrepreneurs. So I've seen the risk that they put into their work and how valuable it is to them when they do take a risk and it pays off. And then sometimes it doesn't. And I've also grown up with just knowing that's okay. So I think that I definitely am not afraid of risks. I didn't have anything to lose. It was, you know, there was nothing that could be, you know, embarrassing or difficult about it. It was just like, if I can make it work, then this will be a great, you know, introduction to, you know, a creative idea in the industry. And it was, it's wild. Like I look back and I think about how naive I was. And I think that naivety really fueled my kind of ambition. And I wasn't scared of who was going to come to the show. I just wanted to put it on for my friends and family. Like the stakes were kind of low. And I think because of that, you just are a little more limitless in your thinking. And our, our first show was actually at the MoMA um, Museum, which has its own kind of persistent story, but it really was my favorite place in the city. And someone told me that if you're going to launch something in New York, it has to be personal and it has to, you know, be distinctive. And I, I found an inn to find a corporate sponsor that would help us host a show in the museum. And they had never done that before. And I look back at that show and I'm like, my mind was just so um, open. Like I was, I imagined these like amazing waiters walking around with goldfish on there, like, you know, with the drinks, like walking around the museum. And I had my friends playing live music and it was just so special. And I think that for entrepreneurs, remembering and bottling up those beginning years and like the why you do it and the feeling you have when you start really can help sustain you through like the ups and downs of what comes with growing a company. So since those days, you know, you guys, you've grown into what looks like a pretty massive business. You're stocked all over the country. You are, have, you know, this large e-commerce presence, you've dressed celebrities. I've saw like Taylor Swift and Michelle Obama as we're two of the celebrities that have um, worn the brand. I just want to know, like you talk about the magic of those early days and, you know, when you're really naive and open. And I think that that's definitely a trend that I hear with founders 
that are like further on in their business story. How does it feel and what does your day look like now, like running a business of this size compared to those early days? What's what's different? Very different. <laughs> I actually think about that sometimes a lot. Um, so early days, I don't think I had a reliable schedule. I would be at the office or studio all day, but it was, I hadn't done it before, right? So you're you're kind of reacting to what you know, needs to happen in terms of producing a collection, shipping a collection, designing the next one, having sales appointments, branding. So I was super busy, but I felt like I was always responding to what was happening. I think the position I'm in now, I can definitely plan for what needs to happen. And I like that position more because then it kind of creates room for me to decide when I'm very creative versus room for when I can actually, you know, manage um, the operations. I think that early stage kind of founders who are listening to that will are looking forward to the planning days. Yes. And they can like <laughs> not just be reactive, oh they can like plan ahead. <laughs> I don't think I had anything on my calendar. Like I don't think I even made a meeting because I would just, you know, it'd be 10 p.m. at night and I'd be like, oh, we have to fit something. And we would put like a dress on me and cut it up and my husband would walk in and he had a really organized job and he would walk in and he's like, what's happening here? Like, is this, is this going to go anywhere? I'm like, I promise it will. Oh my God. I hope you have like lots of photos and like videos from those days because that's so, so special. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I want to um, understand, like, like switch gears a bit. I said before, you know, you've, Tanya Taylor has been worn by so many celebrities. What is the process in kind of like landing your designs on a celeb, like someone like a Michelle Obama or a Taylor Swift? What is that process? Well, it's it's interesting. I think we've dressed such a diverse group of women and it really started at the beginning of the brand. Like in the second year, Michelle Obama, Lady Gaga, Kerry Washington, and like Taylor Swift all wore the same dress. And that was really interesting to me. I was like, wait, there's a 20-year-old and a 60-year-old and different body types. And I thought that was really motivating and like inspiring that it wasn't intentional to design that way, but really kind of came out of just the philosophy that it's an approachable brand and it's really meant to feel like it's for women who just want to express themselves with color and print. But it's different. Like Beyonce bought our pieces from Saks and wore them like all over London when she was there. You know, other people we've designed custom. Oh my God, I would die if Beyonce like touched something I created. <laughs> that is incredible. I know. No, it was so cool. It was so cool. We made her a mini little dress for Blue Ivy and it was just like, oh, oh my God. But yeah, sometimes it's custom. Sometimes it's, you know, just lending. Like we've developed great relationships with their stylists and with them. And it's really funny, but a lot of them actually buy off our e-commerce. So like our e-commerce manager is like always giddy because she's like, Jennifer Garner just bought a dress. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, you know, they don't necessarily need to. They can definitely get a lot of things for free. But I think that they see it, you know, we're a, a female-founded brand and we're not, you know, huge. And it's so helpful for that support. And so it's really, it, it's really encouraging to us. So do you think that the key is, obviously, it's creating beautiful things that people, you know, want to wear. But is it also 
developing those relationships with the top stylists? Is that kind of like what's fundamental to it? Yeah. Like I've gone to LA once a year, even more frequently outside of COVID and just like had, you know, sat down at the Sunset Tower Hotel and for two days in a row just had like rotating coffee meetings where you just explain exactly why, you know, you're different. And for us, size inclusivity is a really big part of our brand. So it's really helpful to show how we don't just design that for the red carpet, but that's what we produce and that's what we stand for. And then just how we can articulate our brand for red carpet, because I think we're more of a, you know, a ready-to-wear brand that's every day. So I bring sketches, I bring fabrics, I like really kind of show them like the world of what we would create for their clients. And it's a really fun process that always results in, you know, us getting to know girls and see what, you know, up and coming films are being nominated and who like the next girl and star are. And I I don't know. I, I find that like a really fun part of the job is to, it's almost like how we design for our customer. We're finding another customer in this celebrity and like what her identity is and what her style is and really how we can like be, you know, designing specifically for that. So it sounds like you, you know, you need to be really, or like your team and you need to be really tapped into what's going on, both like in the fashion space, but also like pop culture and like cultural trends as well. Aside from, you know, having these conversations one-on-one, like are there any other places that you go, newsletters, websites that you like lean on for like that information that you think are great? I think that living in New York City gives us the access to culture that is so immediate and our office is at Union Square. So I feel like just being out in the world, like we, you know, are constantly going to art galleries. We are constantly going to like, you know, different cultural kind of events of whether it's like, you know, female founded businesses or, you know, wellness retreats that kind of teach us what other like up and coming products are, you know, starting. So I just like, like to embed a sense of curiosity in everyone in the team. And then we have a big like sharing community in our team. Like there's a real support for everyone has a voice to share something they've seen that they think is interesting for us. And then we just constantly kind of talk about it. I think we have weekly meetings where we can like really discuss any new ideas that we've learned from different people reading or experiencing New York. And I always feel like we're abreast of like what's happening. And that's important to me. Like I think being part of New York culture is like an important part of the brand. When I, you know, back when I was working as a fashion editor and beauty editor, we used to have like team meetings each week and and they weren't necessarily editorial meetings. They were like zeitgeist meetings where you just kind of like brought in like things that you saw that were interesting and it's not formulated into any kind of actionable thing. Like what we do with this is more just like, huh, like look at this like weird aesthetic that we're seeing pop up in the wellness space over and over again. Like, let's just talk about that because it is like, even if it's not your team, I feel like having those people around you who are just sharing like interesting, weird things that are like popping up in the space. Totally. We do that all the time. Like, oh, people are really putting like um, typography over images and emails. Like that's interesting. Or, you know, different A-B testing of the angle of an image. Like we, we get excited about definitely looking at the competitive landscape, but then also finding references from like you know, Japanese brands or like Copenhagen brands and like things that are not American that feel maybe a bit more art influenced. And there's, there's such an openness to 
it doesn't need to be actionable. It's just like, let's incubate these ideas within the team. You mentioned before that, you know, you launched at Fashion Week, you know, way back in the beginning. It was 2012 when you launched. Is that right? Yeah. 10 years ago. Just crazy. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thanks. 10 years. That's amazing. Okay. So I want to understand what your thoughts are on Fashion Week. Like I have seen what Fashion Week is for change so much. Just, you know, from my time in the industry, which is about the same as you, I um, just got started as a um, writer and editor in the space in 2012. And I've just seen Fashion Week go through these like different iterations. First of all, I was digital. So I was at the time like third tier, you know, at Fashion Week. And it was lucky if I got invited. Now you'd be first. Yeah. (laughs) Now I'd be like front row. And then, you know, digital did this big shift and then it was like influences and it's just changed so much. And I'm really curious about you as someone who's in the industry, like how do you think about what Fashion Week is for? Is it still to like connect with buyers and editors or is it a moment to go on social media? Like what is that event? I know it's 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 a question that we've felt very kind of flexible around. Like over the last couple of years, we've done everything from, you know, a presentation to runway. My favorite thing we did was in September 2020, we um, shifted to doing like uh, videos of teaching people how to register to vote in our fashion week spot, which like aired on CFDA and vote.com. And we had celebrities jump in and like do really funny activities that took less than two minutes because the whole point was if you have two minutes to make a sandwich or water your plants, then you can register to vote. That is so smart. It was fun. Um, We had like Hillary Clinton and Mindy Kaling and Rosario Dawson and different people do it. Casual. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Try putting videos together during the pandemic when people have to self-shoot. That was was a whole other... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not casual thing. Um, but we we have felt that our our like job is to like pay attention to what our customer wants to see and how they're feeling. So that's why we would pivot to, you know, talking about that in September. And then after the pandemic, like this February, we were just so excited about the clothes we were making. We made a huge step forward in like the elevation and sophistication of what the collection looked like. So we made a beautiful fashion video. So it's like, I think that the industry is supporting brands to be more in tune with what's best for their business, what's best for their brand, and that it shouldn't necessarily result in traditional formats for Fashion Week. It's just a little confusing, I think, how to make sure the visibility is there. Like without the IRL schedule that editors are really going around and going to see shows, like for a brand, just how to make sure that all the effort you put into it, you have to make sure your audience will appreciate. Like our audience loved our video. And honestly, it was incredibly helpful for our sales team to be able to use that video, attract new um, stores and really just show the collection and movement when people weren't coming IRL. But I mean, I am a chameleon of Fashion Week. Like I just like to do lots of different things. So I love that. I don't have a I don't have a like set course. Okay, switching gears again. I want to ask 
what your thoughts are on clothing rental. I just saw that um, a UK company called Buy Rotation, they're, I think they're like peer-to-peer lending or peer-to-peer rentals, just raised like a bunch of money, like $3 million, which is great for her. It's a female, female-led company. How do you think about how clothing rental fits within your like business model now? So we've been a partner of Rent the Runway for a long time. We've never implemented our own independent rental option for customers. I think what we love about working with Rent the Runway is a sense of discovery. There is definitely a customer who, you know, rents a dress of ours, falls in love, becomes a loyal customer and purchases. We've seen that life cycle be really um, effective. And I, I don't think we'll ever offer it as our own option. I think what we care more about is like the circularity of clothing. So whether there's a donation back to the brand once someone's, you know, already loved that dress, then we can rework it or we can, you know, resell it or we can donate it to dress for success. Like we're more interested in that kind of benefit of how you share clothing more than the rental model. I think the rental model is a tricky one with the dry cleaning and the logistics of just, you know, sharing clothing. So I want to focus on, you know, producing and being really mindful of what we create and, you know, focusing more on like the end life cycle of clothing. And then the last question that I just ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource. And that could be, I don't know, a book or a podcast, something that you listen to that's helped you over the last 10 years as you've been building your business. Oh man, definitely. I love the book Obsessed. I feel like it was it's really, it's one that I've like read kind of over the years. It is all about how create a brand that people love and that the people that work there, you know, believe in and that values are, have to be embedded within your brand ethos. So I feel like that's a good guiding one. Also I've been reading, and I really feel like this is an important one for business founders, Atomic Habits. It's all about how to kind of eliminate your like self-sabotaging habits, which just immediately come up when you own your own business. Because I think the hardest thing about having your own business is you don't have a boss to tell you what to do. And I think sometimes you get in your own way of being motivated or doubting yourself. So I feel like the Atomic Habits book is really about how to kind of eliminate the noise in your mind of things that you might not even know that you're doing that are you know, kind of grinding you down and how to replace that with more positive kind of inspiring habits in your life. Yeah. That's a really powerful book. I think I actually need to reread that. I read it, you know, a while ago and I'm at this point like post pandemic where I'm like, oh, I should probably revisit that one. (laughs) Well, cause you realize like I, I started the company when I was 25 and I realized that you kind of become like mother in a way to like I have 28 employees now. So I have to be pretty healthy and like, I need to be very vulnerable and tell them about what it's like to be, you know, growing this and how the, what the challenges have been. But at the same time, I want to be, you know, eliminating the bad habits and like trying to stay as healthy as possible so I can just feel strong. Yeah. I love that. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to chat with you. Thank you so much. Hey, did you guys love that? If you did, please drop us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you take a screenshot of that review and DM it to us on Instagram, we will send you back a link with free access to our entire on-demand library of business skills workshops. So don't sleep on that. Get on it. Take that screenshot and DM it over to us. Chat to you later.